0: There's a chill in the air, and I have a chilling story for you from Lee County, Virginia. It's a story that I published many years ago about a little girl who grew up in the Depression era in Lee County, Virginia, where I'm from. Let me just say that if you have older people in your family or you have people willing to share stories with you, you should collect those stories. Stories are so important, particularly in our culture. And as a teacher, it's something that I incorporate into my assignments a lot. I always encourage my students to use story. I mean, I'm a qualitative researcher, and part of what we do is we look at how people make meaning through use of story. So story is really important. It tells us a lot of things that numbers can't. and Collecting stories, I think, is one of the most important things we can do. And because I grew up with so many grandparents and I heard these stories my whole life, you know, I didn't realize it when I was younger, but I realized it later on. And I actually really mind those stories. When I started publishing my writing. So, this was a story that I had grown up hearing. It terrified me as a child because it was about a little girl. And I I remember the first time I heard it, I was about the same age as this little girl. And now I wish that I had asked the older generations in my family about
1: this story. Little Bertha Cybert weighed only sixty pounds, but every night before she slept, she bounced plumb off the ground and she cried when she tried to sleep. That's when that white fuzzy spirit started to creep. So there she lay.
0: Her name was Bertha Cybert. And she lived in Lee County, Virginia in the 1930s with her family. And they were not rich by any means. They were probably what was typical then at that time period. They lived in a cabin. It was papered with newsprint all over the walls. That was that was common back then. It helped keep the drafts out and it was decorative. It was a lot less expensive than than traditional wallpaper. My parents had heard the story. At the time my dad was working for the local power company and his boss had been was related to this little girl and when he was a child he saw something that terrified him that he never got over he told that story to my dad and so it was kind of a real life poltergeist type story now before you roll your eyes i know a lot of people out there don't believe in that kind of thing and i you know generally don't either but Whatever happened, they couldn't explain it, and people actually tried to figure it out and couldn't. So so let me tell you what happened. This little girl lived with her grandmother, and I'm not sure about the story with her parents where they were. I think they all lived in this little valley close together, and I think she was about nine years old when this started. She started to complain that she was having trouble sleeping. She complained that there was something pulling her hair that there was something pulling at her clothes. That the she was seeing this ghostly hand appear out of the wall. That that hand was pulling her hair. And so naturally, in an Appalachian area where people are pretty devoutly religious, they're not going to want a lot of people to hear about this because they don't want to be associated with anything ghostly or demonic or whatever. And so they sort of kept it quiet. Then something started to happen that got the attention of people in the area and beyond. When she would lay down on her bed, now keep in mind that this is... Uh, a bed that's made of heavy wood, solid wood. The posts would be wood. The frame would be solid wood. The mattress might be a feather tick mattress or a corn shuck mattress, or maybe it was a traditional mattress. But she was a little bitty girl and she would lay down on this bed and it would start to her cousin Ralph. Miner, who told us the story, said that it would start to sound like teeth on wood, like something chewing on wood, and that that sound would travel up the bedposts, and then the bed would start to tremble. And it—it's like something you might see in a scary movie. It would start to tremble and it would start to shake, and then he said it would—it would violently begin to shake, like literally bounce off the floor and back down again. And she would be laying there completely still terrified doing nothing to cause it but that it would be violent he said that he and his dad came down to the house at the urging of her grandmother and who said you've got to come see this i don't know what this is and he witnessed it for himself and he said you know i, I know people will think i'm crazy but this was a man who identified as a christian man he was he was the manager of a power company he was well respected in the community he said i you know I know people are going to think I've lost my mind when I say this, but he said, that's what I
1: remember seeing. And he
0: wasn't the only one who saw it. When word traveled out about this, it drew people into the community, and he said so many people came. She, she was sort of like a sideshow. So many people came to witness this thing that happened to her. He said he remembered cars being parked all the way up and down the mountain on the side of the road, that people would have to park on the side of the road and walk up to see it. He said he remembered her father shoveling mud out of the cabin where it would be tracked in. From people and I you know I'm surprised that they allowed people to come in that would be one of the questions that I would have is you know why would you allow people to come in and 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 look at this little girl unless they were so desperate for someone to help explain what was happening because she was really miserable he said she was crying you know she would come to school and it would be very clear on her face that she wasn't sleeping. She'd had these red eyes and that she would have been crying and that she was just exhausted. I'm sure it was terrifying for her. You can only imagine being that little. And and I mean, I can remember being that little and having these terrifying dreams and thoughts if I'd had, if I'd seen a scary movie or, or something like that and, and being scared. So you can only imagine what that would do to a child mentally. Still
1: college doctors came from Tennessee. Is it Bertha's family writing down all they had seen while they ate their dinner? The meat flew from their plates, the soup tureen turned over, and a noted that was strange as she cried when she tried to sleep.
0: Two scientists from the University of Tennessee. Of came and studied her. They looked under the bed. They looked in the attic. They examined her. They looked at everything that two scientifically minded people could possibly look at. And they came to no viable conclusion about what was causing it. Now, certainly, they're not going to entertain the idea of a ghost or some otherworldly spirit. They're going to look for something more logical than that. But they couldn't find it. All they could deduce was that she was maybe contracting the muscles in her legs and, and possibly causing it that way. But when Ralph would tell that part of the story, he would laugh about it because he said there's no way that she could cause the kind of violent bouncing that this bed caused. And so she got the name Bouncing Bertha
1: what that child's bit bounce Bertha was her name
0: in all of the newspaper accounts that I found and I found I found quite a few newspaper accounts I found photographs of her that's what the reporters that's the name they gave her there were there are these illustrations that go with the newspapers of this little girl, you know, being thrown out of her bed, withered hands coming out of the wall. I mean, they illustrated based on the stories that she was telling, but they also took pictures of her. And so I have pictures and I will actually share these on our podcast social media page so that you can see these for yourself. So look, look in our feed for that and our Instagram. They Published these photographs of her, and they actually state they had her sit on her bed and they had her just sort of look off into the distance. They had her family standing around her, and they have these sorrowful, mournful looks on their faces. Like it was almost you can just tell that the photographer's saying, Now, this is how I want you to look. They probably were freaked out, exhausted, wanting it to be over. I don't think they made any money from it. I don't think that they tried to make money from it. But a promoter, a man by the name of Virgil Wax, and, and I got actually got a lot of the material for this story from his son who shared it. He um, actually recorded so much footage of our area and took so many pictures and actually collected so many stories that they have a collection of his work over at, uh, I believe, at ETSU. He actually, the story goes that he, he did try to help the family by promoting this, um, and she, Actually was put on a stage at the county fair, I believe. She was, you know, with a bed, but they couldn't manufacture what was happening in her home. They couldn't make it happen again the way that, you know, it was happening in her home. She became so famous that she was in a theater in Jonesville one night trying to watch a movie and that people were staring at her instead of focusing on the movie. And so the theater manager Stopped the movie and had her come up on stage and recite a poem, you know, to give people the satisfaction. You know, she was the star attraction instead of the movie. It wasn't something that the family wanted. They didn't want that kind of notoriety. This is according to Ralph. They were really simple mountain people who just wanted to live their lives and be left alone.
1: Reporters blame the bedsprings springs and attention-seeking kids. Surely no apparition was to blame for what she did. The bouncing finally led her. A birth lived her life. But the memories of her childhood always could her like a knife when she cried as she tried to sleep.
0: It happened, and, and it a reached a global spirit. scale in terms of how far the story went. There were news accounts from Great Britain. About her. And so people like a really, you know, people like a good ghost story. And this is not the only story floating around the Appalachian region about a little girl being possessed by a poltergeist. I mean, I've heard other variations of this before, but Ralph was actually an eyewitness to it. And so when I published this in Blue Ridge Country, he was still living. And I, I think his story was really powerful for me. For the reason that he was related to her. I mean, he showed me school pictures of them standing side by side. She was a really pretty little girl. Very happy at the time. This was before all of that started. It didn't last very long. I mean, it was a matter of months. And then it ended as quickly as it began. Now, some of the other things that happened within that period of time that Ralph talked about, she sat on a chair and someone would play a banjo or a guitar and witness the chair wobbling around the room or, or you know, and the faster that they played the musical instrument, the faster the chair would rock. There was an account of... Uh, someone hearing horses galloping around. I mean, there were no horses to be seen anywhere, but they heard horses galloping around the house three times and then the doors would fly open on their own. So it wasn't just the bed bouncing. There were other occurrences too. And, and, you know, by all accounts, it sounds like your traditional haunting story that you see in the movies. But it's interesting that no one really ever could explain it. And of course, when something like that happens in a small community, you can imagine, you're going to have your faction of people who will call it a hoax, and you're going to have your people who believe that what's happening the way it's being told is happening. Again, there were eyewitnesses who said, you know, I saw it. It's not a hoax. I saw it happening. And I can only imagine And that's another question that I think I would have if I was able to interview Anyone who remembered this innocent, if, if there's anyone out there listening to this podcast who knows any more about this story, I would love to hear from you. Please message us through um, Facebook or Instagram. We would love to hear more about what you know. But this is this is pretty much everything that I know. This and what was recorded in the newspaper accounts. She did grow up. She moved away. Ralph said, as far as he knows, she didn't ever speak about this any more as I imagine no one would want to. None of her family members wanted to talk to me about it. He reached out to several family members and no one wanted to talk about it. And he said that he felt like It might be, you know, such a painful memory for them. And he felt that they might be afraid that it would come back again. And, you know, they didn't want to be haunted again. They didn't want to see that happen again. And so the story ends there. It ends where it ended with her as a little girl because she grew up and she moved away and never spoke of, of it again. She died relatively young. She died in her 50s. It kind of faded away after that. I decided to write about it and retell the story for anybody that would listen, because I still think it's just as scary as it was when I heard it for the first time. But now that I have a little girl who was the same age as Bertha and the same age I was when I first heard the story, I kind of think about her in a different way now. And I think how terrifying that event must have been and how awful it must have been to know that people were talking about them, that The community was probably divided between the people who believed it and the people who didn't, and to think that you were the cause of that, even though you were sort of helpless in that situation. And I have a feeling there is so much more to this, so many more levels to this than what we can possibly know. But for now, all we know is the scary part of it. And so I just thought I would share that since we're in the middle of spooky season and it's sort of a story, you know, a regional story that's been passed around for a really long time. I hope you have a great Halloween, a great safe Halloween, and we will be back with another episode soon.
1: When people came to watch that child's bed hop bouncing birth Bertha was her name.
0: The music you're hearing is from a new CD project just released called Just Off the Wilderness Road, Songs of the Canola Region. It's a wonderful collection of true stories about the history of the tri-state region near Cumberland Gap in central Appalachia. This song is called Bouncing Birdhawk. It's written by Jason Davis. I hope that you'll go to their website, get one of these CDs, www.justoffthewildernessroad.com. Thank you for listening. Kindred spirits. If you like the content I'm putting into the world about the culture of Appalachia and you just want to support the podcast, there are links in my show notes where you can do just that. Whether your support buys me a cup of coffee during these long hours of editing, I do it all myself. Or if you want to offer a monthly contribution, for which I'm happy to include your name or organization, or your book as a supporter on our show notes and give you early access to episodes and other perks. Maybe you can just share the episodes you love the most and spread the word about us, which is totally free. I appreciate you and any support you have to spare. Find me on patreon.com slash talking podcast or at Talking Appalachian on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to keep talking Appalachian.